Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning on this 15th of April. This is one of those mornings when um, I just, in my prayer time, I was just recognizing and acknowledging that the news that matters most to each of us uh, is the news that's closest to home. And so I want you to know that I get that. I get that as we, you know, as we pray the news around the world and we consider what's happening globally and as we pray the news nationally and we consider how we might bear out a positive influence in the culture in which we live. I 100% recognize that the news that matters most to you this morning is the news closest to home. Uh, And so I I recognize that if you have positive news or really hard news in your own life or in your own family, in your own neighborhood, that that's actually the news that's most important to you today. And I get that. So... um, I want to acknowledge that. I want to. I want to speak that reality out loud. Um, you know, in in my house, uh, we had the honor and privilege of um, of witnessing. Although you know, because of because of COVID, we witnessed it over Facebook Live. Um, but Eliana, who is a, a high school senior, presented her oral defense for her senior thesis yesterday, and I'm just so proud of her and. Had a wonderful celebratory dinner uh, last night and the whole time just acknowledging that there are people in other communities across the country at that very same hour um, who were under curfews. They, there's no way they could have gone and done what we did last night. And so lifting up Brooklyn Center in specifically but surrounding communities in Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Twin Cities faced with a fourth night of rioting. Uh, there was a CNN crew that was attacked by protesters. The uh, that group of people was also pelting police from behind reinforced shields. There's a clear sign of organizational resourcing of the protest. The people on the island of St. Vincent in the Caribbean are facing ongoing uh, volcanic eruptions that have now completely blanketed their island and spoiled their water. And so, you know, want to lift them up in prayer today. Uh, if you are in Washington, D.C., you know that today is the day that uh, Democrats have announced they are going to introduce legislation that would expand the Supreme Court by four seats. That's probably the news driving uh, inside the beltway today. If you were a client of Bertie Madoff or if you are a surviving member of his family, maybe you were one of his neighbors or his friends, then the news of his death, the 82-year-old architect of the now infamous Ponzi scheme that built billions from thousands of people, ruined the lives of many, then the news that he died in prison yesterday is probably um, the headline most being discussed uh, over breakfast in your home. Um, you know, let us be people who are lifting up um, Ruth Madoff today. I mean, there's a woman whose life um, was just shattered. I mean, they met in high school. Um, they married early. They they had what certainly by all accounts was a wonderful life. And since the arrest and incarceration of her husband, she has had one son commit suicide and lost another 
to uh, to cancer. And, um, you know, so there's a chapter closing with the death of uh, of, of her husband in prison. But um, but my guess is her grief is afresh anew today in ways that we could only imagine. So the headline closest to home is likely the one you're most interested in this morning. Um, I get that. Let's be sensitive to one another as we move throughout this day, recognizing that um, people are dealing with a lot. People are dealing with a lot in their lives. I know you are. I am too. Let us uh, be people who are sensitive to one another today as we walk out our faith in the world that God so loves. First up this morning in terms of my conversations is uh, Ben Johnson, and he's got some news close to home um, as well. So we're going to talk about his news, and then we're also going to talk about Taco Bell and the minimum wage. And who's making that taco? All right, we'll be right back. is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. All right, joining me now, Ben Johnson, and we're going to find out how we are supposed to be introducing him. How do you like that, Ben, as an introduction? Highly intriguing, as always, uh, but I would expect that from, from such a wonderful talk show host as yourself. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so um, I read in your Twitter feed this week that you have a bit of personal news in terms of uh, what you're doing in, in the world on behalf of the Lord. Um, so maybe just share a piece of that with us so that uh, we can be praying for you and your family and, uh, and others in this transition. Well, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I've been at the Acton Institute, and uh, I'm I'm still executive editor there until May 7th, but uh, I've accepted another position. It's a little bit premature to say uh, all of the details of that simply because they, they want to wait until it's uh, my start sure. time to, to make any announcement, but uh, I'll be transitioning to another role very simply, uh, as, as listeners to this program know. In addition to being part of the Acton Institute, I'm a pastor, and uh, you know, because of uh, my role at Acton, I also work uh, additional part-time jobs for uh, for benefits and things of that sort. So, uh, frankly, a lot of things just uh, were became a little bit overwhelming, and I was able to find uh, a position where I didn't have to uh, quite juggle quite so much. So uh, that's that. that's really the core of what's happening here. I love what the Acton Institute was founded to do and their founding principles, and uh, you know they do a lot of good work and have employed a lot of good people. So uh, I just certainly nothing askance at them whatsoever, but uh, very simply, it's simply a personal decision on my part. And I would uh, ask for your prayers that the transition goes smoothly and that uh, I be able to uh, to uh, act worthily of uh, the new employer. Yeah, I love that. Um, thank you, Ben. And um, thank you for uh, talking with us. We just love it. OK, so you and I have read this headline out of New York City. This is a, a headline related to the minimum wage, but the headline is Taco Bell is opening the first digital-only U.S. location in Times Square. Yes, uh, Times Square, New York City. You can watch the ball drop. You can get a taco if you're willing to leave the crowd and then come back and wait for a couple of hours to get back in. But Taco Bell, it's, it's opening an all-digital store. When you walk in, you won't see a single human being out front. Uh, the people are all back in the kitchen, but when you walk in, there are 10 order kiosks just like in a lot of McDonald's and Burger King Wendy's locations and other fast food establishments. When you walk in, your order will be taken electronically, digitally, 
And uh, that's it. There's not going to be a human being standing there with a hat asking you what you would like. Uh, now, this is very much related to the minimum wage. The $15 minimum wage is coming down the pike. Everyone sees it coming. And this is very much done in order to avoid having to pay $15 an hour to, uh, to people. Now, usually when people say that, the first thing they will do is make a recrimination against the corporation. They'll say these people are greedy, they can afford it. I want for us to think as Christians for a moment, because the scriptures tell us never to condemn somebody else for what we do ourselves. So I want us to walk a mile in their shoes for just a second, because I guarantee if you think about it, all of us do the same thing. If you have two products on a shelf, identical in their quality and quantity, but one of them costs more and one of them costs less, you always buy the one that costs less, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody. Absolutely. Does. Yeah. And it's exactly the same situation when it comes to employing employees. If you have two people or two uh, institutions or two things that can do the same job, two things capable of doing the same job, and one of them never gets sick, never shows up late, never takes a break, and you can pay the exact same amount of money to create that technology and install it in, in a trial location, in a well-trafficked place like Times Square, and you have another one who uh, their productivity simply no longer warrants the wage you would pay, you always go with the one that would cost the less. That's the, you would do that in every case. They're doing the same thing that each one of us would do. So uh, it, there's always been a technological threat to jobs. Whenever there's a new technology that comes along, it replaces jobs. Uh, economists call it creative destruction. The thing is, if it happens naturally, then new jobs come up to replace those old jobs. However, when you have a minimum wage hike, it artificially, prematurely speeds up that process. So now there are people who are out of work, and uh, the CBO warned there would be anywhere between hundreds of thousands and a few million people who would lose their jobs because of this. And I can guarantee you some percentage of these people will never be able to get their first job as a result. This is just one example of how people who would do the exact same thing you would do are doing it when they're faced with a, premium, with a premature minimum wage hike. Yeah, and before everybody gets outraged at Taco Bell, um, as Ben mentioned, McDonald's was actually on the forefront of this. McDonald's has been installing digital self-order kiosks at restaurants across the country. It has expanded food delivery. Everybody has, right? Everybody has expanded in these ways, certainly under COVID. Um, They talk about tech-focused investments, and they talk about recreating the infrastructure um, of the way they do business. Uh, Chipotle has also launched what are called... Oh, I lost it. It's something like a, a, a Chipotle digital or something like that. Anyway, they have them as well outside of uh, the entrances to college campuses across the country. There's no seating. You can't go inside. Um, there's basically like a pickup window and you have to order everything either online or via um, via their app. So uh, this is the changing face of at least fast food restaurants across the country and my bet is that it is headed to a community uh, very close to you. All right, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Ben about the freedom of the press and a free press and press freedoms. Yep, that's all next on Mornings with Carmen. All right, I am talking with the rights writer, Ben Johnson. You can follow him on Twitter at the rights writer. Hey, Ben, when we talk about freedoms and we talk about the freedom of the press and a free press and press freedoms, there's a lot to talk about across the country. Um, why, why don't you just sort of illuminate for us a few of the things that are going on? 
There are. Well, there are a couple of uh, really important stories. One of them, of course, right there in your own hometown or, or where uh, Faith Radio obviously is based, which is the Twin Cities. We have these these terrible uprisings because of the, the tragic situation with uh, Dante Wright. And you saw the police chief, Tim Gannon, of the Brooklyn Center give this conference where he was describing what was happening. And he talked about, uh, in addition to giving a great deal of detail about the shooting, he mentioned the word riot. And one of the reporters shouted out, there was no riot. Some of the other reporters said, don't do that. And he had to correct them. He said, there was a riot. Police were pelted with various projectiles. Uh, Policemen were injured as a result of this. So there there was a riot. The other one, and this is of national character and importance, and uh, it's just yet another confirmation of what so many of us who watch the media have already known, but uh, James O'Keefe's undercover project, Project Veritas, uh, released yet another undercover video exposing CNN. They talked to their technical director, Charlie Chester, and uh, he said the soft part's soft, but they put a microphone in front of it. Uh, he said, I am 100% going to say it. This is a quote. I 100% believe if it wasn't for CNN, I don't know that Trump would have gotten voted out. I came to CNN because I wanted to be part of that. And he talks about the use of what he calls propaganda. Uh, in, to cover people negatively. Uh, it's the same thing with various other stories as well. Uh, there are numerous videos that have been released undercover, getting people from CNN when they are you know, off guard and undercover to discuss the way that they shape the news or shade the news in order to push a political agenda. So uh, both of these are, are really important. Uh, I, obviously, I think most people know that CNN is not a, a straight news organization. It's not what it was founded to be in 1980. Uh, it is not the uh, vision, I think, that Ted Turner had for the network when it was uh, first going on the air. Uh, very simply, uh, if you look at this, this is a betrayal of what journalism is intended to be, and it's a betrayal of what the American people want. There was a new study that was co-sponsored by the Associated Press. It shows the American people are hungry for facts. They're hungry for information. It found that there was, they surveyed the American people. They found there was only one thing the vast majority of Americans agree on, When it comes to media coverage, two-thirds of Americans, and this is across the political spectrum, said they want journalists to give them facts. They don't need context. They don't need people to correct other people. What they want is for journalists to report, and they can decide. Uh, Now, even networks that say that often shape and shade things, but what they want is very simply the bare-bones information, and they have the mental faculties to uh, think about this. From a Christian perspective, I think this violates the wisdom of King Solomon in two ways. Uh, First of all, you have vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. Reporters know that this is their 15 minutes of fame. Uh, They have known that since the cameras are rolling, if they ask the right kind of question or they come across with uh, the right kind of panache or if they're overly aggressive, they become the story and that adds to their bottom line. So that builds their brand. And so their personal vanity is stoked when they confront people unnecessarily. Uh, Second of all, you have young people correcting their elders in real time rather than having their elders tell the truth. Uh, The the mission of journalism has changed so much over time. Initially, you were supposed to report the facts. And over the various years, they they came up with context surrounding the stories. But now this, this new sort of journalistic idea is that Anything that violates the narrative that they believe is true, and they believe that they know everything that there is to know about the facts, they know them. When they go to report, they're waiting for someone to confirm what they know. If someone who is on the ground contradicts what they know, then they can't allow it to be spoken even in real time. They have to correct the person who is speaking 
in real time. So uh, it's a violation of what journalism is. It's not what the American people want. It's not surprising to me that people are hungering and thirsting after real information. Yeah, this is so frustrating um, because, you know, we we cannot all be everywhere in real time to witness what is taking place and to um, uh, and to, you know, sort of record, make a record for ourselves. So we're completely dependent uh, upon those who who go out and report. And so um, thank you, Ben, for uh, illuminating this this morning. I think that uh, one question that each and every one of us you know, just absolutely must be asking ourselves every time we listen to anybody. I mean, this is a question that listeners to the two of us should be asking themselves. You know, how is this person shaping or shaving the information they are presenting to me right now? You know, how is Carmen shaping or shaving the information she's presenting to me every single morning? And the answer to that question is you can trust I'm going to shape and shave it, um, you know, in, in with the hope of our being equipped to have the mind of Christ on the matters of the day. Like, that's my bias. That's my viewpoint. I don't make any apologies for it. That's the viewpoint you're going to get um, on, the, on the news headline of the day when, when it's delivered from here. And so, um, you know, I think that if other people were honest about the way they are shaping and shaving the information, that would actually be helpful. But they seem completely unaware that that's what they're doing. They, they actually perceive themselves to be the total... Um, arbiters of truth. And as you said, if somebody, even an expert, even a, a, a person in a position of authority, um, you know, says something, they they are, these, these so-called journalists are correcting them, shouting out and correcting them in real time. But it's not a correction in terms of reality. It's a correction in terms of narrative. Yeah. And uh, I don't mean to say anything negative about journalists, but uh, I went through journalism school. I, that's where I began, actually. And you don't have to be an expert in your subject matter in order to be a journalist. Uh, the, your, your subject matter is that you ask experts and then you report what they say. If someone goes from, uh, say, doing the weather report to doing the farm report to being in the D.C. Bureau and, and uh, being a White House correspondent, it's not because they have master's degrees in meteorology, agriculture and political science. You know, the, it's because they are good on television. That's primarily the reason that people get promoted. So uh, it, these people are not necessarily subject matters, and to the extent that they are, it's even twice the pity. It's like they become twofold the children of hell <laughs> that you hear about in the Pharisees, where you have this academic consensus. Uh, you have a thin patina of learning that hides a desperately, uh, desperately conflicted political bias uh, everyone has this one single narrative that comes out of academia where conservatives are very, very much outnumbered 10 and sometimes 100 to 1 on campus uh, in terms of the faculty. And that bias comes through as though it is the truth. And now instead of reporting this, uh, that same study found that the journalists believe their job is to offer context and understanding uh, so that people get, quote unquote, the truth. But uh, quite, quite candidly, the American people are saying, Give us the facts. We can be the arbiters of truth. We don't need you uh, to be the, the filter for us. We can be our own filter. We have higher faculties ourselves. And that's why networks like this are so important. We give the information, and you've said you have a bias up front. Uh, I have a worldview as well, and we shape that according to the Word of God. Uh, we look at this, and we, we try our best to understand the mind of Christ, we look through the scriptures, we understand how that applies today, and that's the way that we look at everything in the world. And so if you appreciate that worldview, then hopefully you appreciate the 
programs like this one, programs like you'll hear right here on Faith Radio Network. Uh, ben, I know you're um, I know you're working on a lot of stuff, probably none of which we have time to talk about today. Um, but uh, but we appreciate your ongoing delving into what is happening, um, particularly to students during lockdown and look forward to your reporting on um, you know, who has been most affected maybe by lockdowns and who's hardest hit and those kinds of things. So look forward to talking with you again about that subject. Excellent. Fantastic. All right. That's Ben Johnson. You can find him on Twitter at The Rights Writer. We'll be right back. All right. Uh, there is a lot going on in the Twin Cities. Um, we have the ongoing trial of Derek Chauvin in the death of George Floyd. The defense is now actively presenting witnesses and it's expect, it, the expectation is that uh, both the the defense and the prosecution will have the opportunity to offer closing arguments either by the end of the week or certainly the, the first of next week and then it will go to the jury. Um, and in the midst of all of that, we have uh, ongoing protests which are Violent and riotous uh, at some hours of the night, um, police clashing for a fourth straight night in the wake of the Dante Wright death um, as well. So we thought that having Reverend Richard Coleman from Wayman AME Church on to talk with us about what is happening in the community, how we can be praying and how we can be engaging would be helpful. So Reverend Richard Coleman and I will have a conversation next. I don't know about you, but with a smartphone and a laptop, I'm virtually online all day long. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Just as adults like instant access to the Internet, our kids have grown to demand it too. But as parents, how do we let our kids use this great resource without abusing it? How do we effectively balance a teen's privacy while protecting them from the dangerous world online? Let your son or daughter know that you respect them enough to occasionally dig into their personal online activity in order to protect them from danger. Don't allow them to have free reign on the World Wide Web. Teach your kids that respect and safety go hand in hand. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Show me a face Fill up this space My world needs you right now Joining me now, Reverend Richard Coleman, pastor of the Wayman AME Church in North Minneapolis. You can find them at Wayman, W-A-Y-M-A-N, amechurch.org. Reverend Coleman, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much, Carmen. Glad to be here with you this morning. And the uh, uh, it's a dot com rather than dot org, by the way. Oh, so sorry. All right, no I'm problem. Change change my notes. Wayman, ame church dot com. Um, That's right. Um, Reverend Coleman, let's just start with how hard it is to have these conversations, but how necessary and urgent they are. Thank you. You want me to just share from my heart, or you want to ask? I do, I do. I want you to just. That is my. That is my observation that I hope gets the conversation started. It's very difficult uh, because, as a, uh, as a man of faith, uh, 
you know, pastoring churches across the Midwest and uh, in, in our itinerant uh, Methodist uh, culture. I've had opportunity to live in a number of communities from Michigan to in Illinois, Minnesota, uh, including Duluth, and, um, and everywhere I've gone, we see some of the same challenges. Um, and uh, much of it is um, the challenge we see amongst our own brothers and sisters in the church and the differences we have uh, uh, concerning uh, policy decisions and ideas, uh, values, uh, and so forth that are sometimes affected by our faith and how we see the scriptures. And I think that's the most painful thing is that uh, the church, which is Christ's presence in the world, uh, is divided so uh, deeply right now. And this is most troubling to me. Yeah, those divisions, um, I mean, you and I would both, I think, recognize are artificial. They are they are cultural divisions. They are certainly not an actual division in what is the one body of Christ. And so it, the, the church invisible, um, you know, she's, she's good. The church visible is a, a bit of a mess. Um, and, and so thank you for, um, for highlighting it in that way. I think that as, uh, as people who live in real communities that are in real, um, they're having real struggles. So let's just take Brooklyn Center as an example. There are a lot of people listening right now who live in the Twin Cities or around the Twin Cities, and Brooklyn Center isn't even on their radar. It's it's not their neighborhood. So can you tell us a little bit about the neighborhood that is now you know, front and center in our conversations as a nation? Yes, it's first-ring suburb, uh, predominantly uh, black population comprised of African-American and um, uh, immigrants uh, from African nations. Uh, that's the dominant population. Uh, it's been a community in uh, racial transition, I would say, for the last uh, couple of decades. Um, it's a, a community filled with many uh, churches, congregations. Uh, I would say that if you were to characterize it um, uh, religiously, uh, it would be probably dominantly Christian, uh, and some folk who've immigrated in have brought different perspectives. Islamic faith, for example, would be another strong presence in the community. Um, but, um, you know, lots of families, single-family homes, uh, as well as small multi-unit uh, dwellings uh, as well. Uh, some commercial. Uh, it's been a difficult place, a lot of high uh, unemployment. Uh, in the area, and businesses have recently, over the last several years, made a commitment to to re-enter the community after having been away for some time. Uh, that's just kind of a highlight of of what it's like in Brooklyn Center. Yeah, that's really that is really helpful. Um, I know that you and other pastors uh, in uh, in the Twin Cities are leading. Um, into all of this, talk talk with us about what's happening uh, in the in the midst of not only uh, the wake of, of of the Dante Wright death, but in the midst of the Derek Chauvin trial as well. Thank you uh, so much. Uh, we are uh, participating cross denominationally, interracially, uh, in movements of prayer as well as. Uh, efforts to learn from one another as to how to be community, particularly, again, uh, in, in the church. 
the Big C Church. And, and so there are movements where Pentecostals, uh, uh, historic white evangelical uh, communities, even progressive churches are coming together, hundreds of pastors. And um, on March 7th, we had a big event um, at the uh, square as the launch, uh, as the trial was launching. And uh, 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 there will be a follow-up, uh, in, in fact, uh, tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, and we're continuing to find out how we can live together within the church to tear down the walls that exist there. Um, and so um, we're also providing opportunities for law enforcement leaders across our state to come together along with community activists so that we can have conversations. We've had two major conversations uh, since March as well on that topic. Okay, the um, the event tomorrow. People are going to want to know uh, more about that. Where can where can we send people for more information about the event that's being held tomorrow? Uh, PrayForMN.org. dot org. Pray for MN dot org. All right, I'm writing yes. that down. We'll highlight we'll highlight it again um, tomorrow morning as well, so folks will be reminded. Um, and I, know, I would also uh, I, I would also direct them to Transform dot uh, org. For, uh, transformmn.org. Yeah, well. we love Transform Minnesota. Good, um, yeah. good, really, really, really good folks. Um, all right, let's um, let's take a very, very brief break. When we come back, um, let's talk about what you see as the elements that are necessary um, as we move toward racial healing. Like we need it. We know we need it. We obviously don't know how to achieve it. Um, so I'd love for you to reflect on you know what some elements of that work might look like. Does that sound good? Thank you, Carmen. Great. I'm talking with Reverend Richard Coleman. You can find him at waymanamechurch.com. Wayman is spelled W-A-Y-M-A-N, waymanamechurch.com, and we'll be right back. It gets so hard just trying to figure it out, fighting down, trying to believe God, trying to watch the words in my mouth and stay on the ride. Trouble Continuing my conversation with Reverend Richard Coleman, a pastor at the Wayman AME Church. You can find them at waymanamechurch.com. Pastor Coleman is also involved in efforts across the city. We want to to highlight again places where you can go to get engaged. Pray for MN, that's Pray for Minnesota, prayformn.org, and then also transform. Uh, Minnesota, transformmn.org. Both great places to go to find resources if you are ready to actually begin working with others toward racial healing. Um, Let's talk about that, Reverend Coleman. What, you know, we all want to work toward racial healing. Um, If that's where our heart is, help our feet get there as well. What do you see as some elements of this work? Thank you. I believe we begin discovering ourselves uh, as as the body of Christ together, we need to do that. We need to learn to honor Christ in each other. And um, and so I found it very helpful to um, first take a step of faith and accept the reality that racism is a reality present in our culture today. And we struggle with that sometimes because we don't like the idea of of, of anyone suggesting that we're racist, and we don't see ourselves that way. Uh, but this transcends uh, our own personal 
uh, embracement of, of an ideology. Uh, and, 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 and there is a structural reality uh, that occurs in our societies. And, and we've got to take a step of faith uh, to become aware and to awaken to that, to that reality. And then uh, once we've done that, take that step of faith, commit ourselves to learning, uh, learning what this thing is all about, how it exists, uh, how it's perpetuated, why uh, blacks and whites see this so differently, and why there uh, has been why it's so challenging for us to um, to to accept the reality of of racism. Um, race is a myth; it doesn't truly exist. Uh, but but racism is a reality, a structural reality in society. And the third thing that we uh, encourage people to do once awakening to that, embracing it as a truth, and then learning, committing to a lifetime of learning on this, is to then seek to engage in ways that bring structural changes. Uh, it's wonderful to do events. Those are, those are nice. But more important than events are the changes we make in our own lives, where we live, where we work, and where we play. So I think there are three Awareness, learning, and engagement will be the three uh, areas of work I would encourage people to focus on. So, Reverend Coleman, you and I have never met face-to-face, but um, my listeners know I, um, I asked the questions that uh, raised their eyebrows. And so I'm going to circle back to something that you said and ask you to unpack it a little bit further. Um, because I guarantee you there were people who heard you say race is a myth, and their eyebrows shot up in the air, and they said to themselves— she better ask a question about that because, <laughs> you know, because I've and, and let me let me tell you where that um, where I know that question then arises from for me personally. So I have, um, you know, I have white friends. They have a black adopted child, um, a, you know, 10, 15 years ago uh, telling that child that, you know, I don't I don't see color like right. I see you as my child. I see you as a child of God now. That young adult um, deals with a lot of anger that they were not more well prepared by their very well-meaning white adoptive parents for a culture that very much sees them as black and where their blackness actually does matter. Is that does that help get us into the conversation about race being a myth? I mean, the affirmation that there we are all the same in terms of image bearers of the living God. We do stand on equal footing at creation and the cross and in the kingdom, but we live in a culture where racism is real and we have to have both conversations. You just unpacked it beautifully, Carmen. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Race is a, uh, a, a construct uh, that human beings um, devised and and we found, we found ways to divide ourselves from other ethnic groups or people groups across the history of humanity. We've done it forever. This is not new. Uh, in America, uh, there is a, a specific purpose, a historic purpose for uh, uh, segregating uh, black folk from white folk in our conscien- consciousness and in our culture. And that had to do uh, with uh, the necessity to uh, convince a group of people, one group, that they are superior so that the oppression of another group could be tolerable. That's the American usage of race. There's, there are no biological bases 
for defining people apart from uh, from other people. Um, and, but the the truth of racism is another story, and I and I love the way you did address those two challenges. Uh, we're told we're different. We're told uh, that 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 whiteness is the norm. In America, it is the norm. That is the reality. And everyone else is considered an other. And uh, and so when we can understand and embrace that, uh, then we can begin to look at the uh, manifestations of that thinking and ideology in culture and in society. What has it meant economically? And what does it mean uh, physically? for, um, for uh, black people in particular? How has it worked out uh, economically? And so as we look at disparities, it traces often back to that root of this myth that has been established in our culture. And in the church, we need to lift up our oneness and we need to confront whatever evil has existed that has separated us and, and love each other enough and love God enough to trust God and each other to be honest about this and to have these hard conversations and allow the Holy Spirit to heal us and to move from a place of fear and intrepidation about this topic and to, and, and, and to not feel that it condemns any of us. Uh, I can say more about that, but I'll stop there. I had a conversation recently, or I listened to one. I think that's a better way of putting it. Um, I, I am learning to speak less and listen more, um, recognizing that as a white woman, um, there is so much for me to learn in these conversations. Um, So the conversation that I was overhearing was about even the way words like black and white are used in our conversations about goodness, beauty, and truth. Uh. I mean, white lies, you know, those those are the lies that aren't so bad. It's still not the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. (laughs) Um, And in the and in the beauty conversation, I was really like, this is one that for me, um, this is that maybe I mean, there's so many heartbreaking aspects to these conversations. But this is one where, you know, I I just until recently was not even aware that little black girls are told, you know, well, you're really pretty for a black girl. No, you're just really pretty. That's it. That's the end of that statement. There needs there's no qualifier there. It's a beautiful, beautiful person. And so there's so much learning. Um, just so that you know, there's so much learning yet to be done. Um, and the conversations that are about, let's say, the transcendental realities of goodness, beauty, and truth, these things that are of God, um, I think these are places where Christians could reclaim the cultural conversation. This is our high ground. Um, and maybe those would be some of the places where um, we could we could find some common footing for conversation publicly. I love that. I, I think you're absolutely right. We look at at those kinds of areas that are that are easy to recognize if they're brought to our awareness. And that's what I meant about first, you know, having some curiosity and stepping out on faith and saying, let me look into this. You know, let me let me let me take a serious look at what people are saying. You know, about this. So, I would agree with that. Um, so helpful to to have conversation partners who are, um, you know, I, I, I don't doubt that your grief is so deep and that there's um, that there's that there's 
real anger as well and frustration and fatigue. Um, but thank you for your willingness to continue to lead well in the midst of all of this um, and for your patience with those who have not yet arrived at um, the common table of conversation, because we have to get there before we can move forward together. Thank you so much, Carmen. I'd like to leave my website as well, if I can do that for additional Please. resources. And uh, and um, my website is Hope United C. DC, C is in Charlie, D is in David, C is in Charlie.org. That's Hope United CDC.org. Hope United CDC.org. That's awesome. Yes. When we unite in hope, God shows up and does miracles. And that's what we need right now. And despite Amen. all the rank, God's moving. Amen. Um, I hope you'll come back and talk with us again. Be my pleasure and honor. Thank you so much. That's Reverend Richard Coleman. You can find him at hopeunitedcdc.org. We'll be right back. All right, let us be uh, people who are engaged with Pray for Minnesota. That's prayformn.org. People who are interested in transforming the communities where we live. If you live in uh, if you live in Minnesota, you need to get engaged with transformmn.org. We need to be united. Our hope is that which is shared in Jesus Christ, and we need to be united in that hope as uh, as people who are engaged in the advancement of the gospel in this generation. So hopeunitedcdc.org. And we need to be engaged with local congregations. And so if you're currently disengaged from the local church, let me really uh, encourage you. It's time to re-engage. Uh, it is time for the body of Christ to have all its parts and pieces in place and actively working to advance the kingdom in this generation. And so uh, if you're in North Minneapolis, why don't you check out waymanamechurch.com. Um, but there's tons of good churches out there. If you want help finding one, just let us know. You can text me at 877-933-2484. You can always email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. I mean, if we do nothing else, we'd like to see you plugged into a local congregation where the Word of God is exalted and the people of God are equipped for the good work that God has prepared in advance for each and all of us to do. So let's get mobilized in prayer and in good works. we got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.